And according to Sartre, there is no design for a human being. No way we have to be, no God to create a purpose for us, no human nature that fixes how we should live. I woke up with a broken heart in my chest. I couldn't sleep, couldn't get no rest. Weighed down by the heaviness of life. I want to read you something that Nietzsche wrote. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. And I try to shake it flipping through my phone. But all it does is make me feel more alone How could anything that feels so wrong be right? But again, this shows that there's this sort of conflict The more you believe in Darwin, the less you believe in God Seven million voices separate us But only one can show us who we are You will know them by we their fruits are Look, we teach the truth, we don't apologize for it, we don't candy can't coat it, we don't hide it. Because we're people of truth. We're going to seek truth, we're going to live truth, we're going to know truth, we're going to know more and more truth. Listen, brothers and sisters, I love you. I love you. Morning. morning. It's good to see you guys. I like it when it rains, we get more people that, you know, when it's not raining, you're like, oh, I'm going to go on a hike, so we'll watch it online, and then you don't go on a hike. Um, I know how it is. Been there, done that. So, um, but it's good to see you guys here. It's, a, it's an amazing thing and how powerful it is when the people of God who are here, what other reason would you be here uh, other than that you love God or that you're seeking to know him or you're seeking truth? That's a powerful thing. Uh, for all those that are out there today just kind of living their lives, going through the difficulties that they go through without the hope that we have, um, we need to be praying for them. We need to be loving them. We need to be showing them the love of Jesus. Uh, oops, I'm in the wrong thing here. Hang on. Technology. 1024. Okay. Give me a second. We're going to use paper. iPads. Apple, right? It's the worst. Don't steal that time. All right. So I got this buddy who loves to be served, okay? Just likes being served. Uh, he's my old law partner, Will Roach. I hope he's watching because this is going to be good. Um, the man just loves being served. He loves people to do stuff for him. So he loves to ask people to do things for him, and then he'll say something to them when he does. He says, service is God's way to greatness, right? To get them to serve. And rarely does anybody come back with... Since you're asking me to serve you instead of modeling service yourself while preaching to me about how I should serve, I'm wondering if service is God's way to greatness, what is hypocrisy God's way to? Um, because that's, that's right, Will. I should have told his kids to say that to him, because that's who usually got the brunt of the whole service is God's way to greatness thing is his kids. But I don't know if it's a West Coast thing um, or not, but I just don't feel comfortable being served in the way that he did, like old Willie there. Uh, he he was, had no problem. We had, a, we had an assistant at the law office at one point. And, you know, she's a professional. She's doing paperwork and, and uh, answering phones and doing those kinds of things. But Will would also have her do stuff like, hey, will you go make me coffee just like this and bring it to me and that kind of a thing. And, I, you know, okay. Uh, 
But for whatever reason, I feel uncomfortable asking for something like that, partially because I know how to make coffee and our kitchen was like 10 steps down the hall and I could get up and do it myself, right? Um, but he didn't mind. He had no problem. He would have asked her to wash his car. He did not care. It was like <laughs> he wanted to be served. He did not mind just being served, right? Uh, he's the kind of guy who just, he liked the luxuries. Now he's a, you know, old country Southern boy. So luxuries to him may be a little different than us. He really liked it if he went to a hotel that had like the bathrobe, the complimentary bathrobe, that he was big on that, right? So he gets the thing on, mm, you know, just luxury. He, he liked that kind of thing. <laughs> For me, the idea that some guy with a rash just wore that thing like three hours ago, <laughs> and I don't know that anyone washed it. I'm not, mm, mm, you know, I don't think so. But that's his thing, right? I mean, he was into that kind of thing. So to be fair to old Willie, he's a serious Christ follower who serves others a lot and loves other people. He's just weird about the personal service thing. I find it weird. Uh, but there is something to be said for service. There's something to be said for being a servant. And there is nothing wrong in certain contexts with having someone you know, bring you coffee or whatever. I do not want to hear that you all jumped back behind the counter at Starbucks. You didn't want to be served and made your... Venti, half-calf, soy, ice, skinny, hazelnut, macchiato, latte, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. I hear you people ordering. Like, how do you even know what that is? I don't, they're just saying words. Anyway, it's okay for the workers at Starbucks to serve you. They're paid to do that. But the point is, as Christ followers, we follow Jesus Christ, and he was clear about his mission of service which is our mission also. This is what he says. This is Mark 10, 42 through 45. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is our model. By the way, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to, to take one of those and read it. It's also on the screen and stuff. But if you don't have one at home, please take one of those home. Very important for us that you have the Word of God in your house. It's free. Feel free to have one of those. Um, we're called as servants of God to be like our King, to be like the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And what did he show us? Not lording authority, not asking to be served all the time, but serving, serving. He served even to the point of death on a cross. And praise God, he rose the third day, defeating sin and death and hell and making a way for us to be saved and to know God and have a relationship with him. But that required his service. And if we want to see other people go through that process, it's going to require our service. Not our desiring to be served, not our asking what's for me, but our asking what can I do for you? That's how it's going to have to be. It's the world and those who are lost who look to serve, I'm sorry, to be served, and to build up wealth on earth, where the scriptures tell us moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But the Christ follower is not like that. We serve God and we serve others, and therefore build up treasures in heaven, because Jesus tells us what? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you're serving, there is a reward for that with the Lord. That reward, you're going to experience all kinds of stuff on earth, but the reward in heaven is great. And if you're building up great rewards in heaven, then your mind is going to be on the Lord. Your mind is going to be on where you're going and less about here and now and what do I do and I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that and I don't have enough stuff. The more you serve, 
the more your treasure's in heaven. And we've been in a series called Identity, where we've been studying the Word of God to find out who and why we are. And for the past several Sundays, we have been in the same message that was supposed to be one sermon. Here we are in our fourth week. I still make no promises that we're going to get through it. Um, it's, I've never done this before. It's like, this, this will be fine. This will be one sermon. Here I am four weeks later. Uh, we're walking through a number of characteristics, a number of character traits that define a Christ follower. If you're a Christ follower and you want to know, am I being a Christ follower? Can I truly identify myself as a Christ follower? You look at these. If you're wondering about other people and how serious they are as a Christ follower, you would look at these. You'll know them by their fruits, right? So if this is your first week with us, I want to welcome you to Acts Church. You uh, are very welcome. You are very welcome to be here. Acts Church is not this building, by the way. Uh, this building is just one of the places that Acts Church meets. Acts Church is the people that are sitting near you or watching at home online, those that couldn't be here today. Uh, Acts Church is a family, a family of Christ followers. And you, if you're new, you're invited to be part of it. If you're online and you're just checking us out, you're invited to be part of it. If this is where God's calling you to fit into his body, the body of Christ, the church, we would love to have you here. So I just want to make sure that you feel welcome. I'm going to tell you a little bit about who we are real quick. Acts Church is a local expression of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is expressed in many, many local expressions all over the world and in one humongous church that goes throughout time and space of every person who calls on the name of the Lord. Every person to whom Jesus is Lord, every person who has been saved, every person who has been baptized, every person who is being discipled is part of the church, the big church. This is a local expression of the body of Christ. And we are called as people in this church to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be saved, forgiven of your sins, and set free, and that you can be adopted into the family of God if you make Jesus the Messiah, your Lord. And that's a pretty, I mean, we use those kinds of words a lot. They kind of, in the Christianese, it comes up a lot. Adopting the family, we're the family of God, things like that. But when you think about the significance of that, especially for so many of us whose families maybe aren't the greatest, who haven't experienced the greatest stuff with family, to know God wants you to be his child. You need to think about that. You need to consider that. You need to help that help you through the day when things are rough. It's an amazing thing. We want to proclaim that to people. We're called out to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we do, and we will be doing hopefully again real soon. We're called out to encourage, to exhort, and even to rebuke when necessary in order to teach and model for one another what it looks like to observe all that Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. That's kind of the basics of who we are and what we do as a church. Now, there's a lot of stuff that goes with that, all kinds of stuff, life groups and, and hanging out with one another and eating with one another and all kinds of things that go on with that. But that's who we are and that's what we do. The last part that I just talked about, teaching people to observe what Christ has commanded, has been sort of the thrust of the study we've been doing these past few weeks. We're asking what it looks like to observe all that he has commanded. We read a pa uh, passage from Luke chapter 6, Last week, and I'm going to read it again. This is uh, verses 46 through 49. Jesus is saying this. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Because that doesn't make any sense to call someone Lord and not do what they say, because Lord means I do what you say, right? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard what you're doing now, you're hearing, and did nothing, is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This is not just like a story. This is what it looks like when you follow Christ and observe what he's commanded, and when you hear it and don't. When you hear it and don't, things fall apart. Most of us, if we've been in, the, in Christ for a long time, have probably had those times where we really weren't following, and we've had the cra- house crash down. We've seen that. Praise God that he brings back the lost sheep, which many of us have been at different times. I certainly have. Many of us have also seen what it looks like when we are observing God's commands. And now he builds us strong. We want to be built on the rock, on Jesus Christ, so that when the stream beats vehemently, I like that word, vehemently against our house, the stream cannot shake it. Can't shake it because it's founded on the rock. We want to follow all that Jesus commanded us because it's ridiculous to call ourselves Christians and not try to be like Christ. Just a weird thing to say. There's life in him and in his commands. There's joy in him and in his commands, in his law, in his truth. There's hope in all that. Now, we've made it through seven of the characteristics of a Christ follower, and we're going to continue today working through them. I'm hoping to get done. We'll see. Um, If you have like a notes app on your phone or you got pen and paper or something like that and you want to take notes, it would be good because you can go back and look at them later and be like, how am I doing here? Am I growing in these areas? It's a good thing to do to assess ourselves as we walk with the Lord. Okay. Um, Last two weeks ago, we did love and growth. If you haven't seen that one, you can go back on YouTube, on the app, on Spotify, Apple Podcast. There's a million places where this stuff is, and you can go back and, and watch those too. And last week, we did knowledge commitment, forbearance, that's a fun one, holiness, and trust. This week, we're going to start with what we've already been working through, service. That's the next one, service. As a Christ follower, we do a lot of serving. We find joy in serving. And now, if that sounds foreign to you, like it doesn't seem joyful to me to serve, you have to begin to think about it in a different way. If you're thinking, it's just not that joyful to serve because people are ungrateful, they betray me, they don't, they don't appreciate what I'm doing, all that kind of stuff, and so it doesn't feel good to serve, I'm not joyful in it. If you change that thinking and think, everything I do to serve someone else, I'm serving Christ. Every time that I'm serving this person, who cares if they're grateful or not, I'm just called to do what I'm called to do, not to worry about the results. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in people's hearts. You just do the thing. Just do the thing. I know it's tough sometimes. I know it's difficult, but if we think, I'm working for Christ, not for you, when your boss is like, wah, 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 you know, right, Susan? When that's going on, <laughs> when that's going on, you got to go, I'm serving Christ, not this idiot, right? That's what you got to say to yourself. Because here's the thing, Christ served you and loved you and died for you and rose again for you while you were still a sinner. While you were a disaster, so if the people you're serving are sinners and a disaster, so were you. And but for the grace of God who saved you, you still would be. This is what he did for us. 
And there is a reasonable response that we should have to the kind of love that God has shown us. There's a reasonable kind of sacrifice that we do in response to the sacrifice, the incredible sacrifice. We're going to talk about this as we get into the Christmas season. Sending his son to the earth. The God of the universe becoming a man, a person, a human. And then living this life and then dying and rising again for us. The response to something as monumental as that is, is something very clear. And God tells us what it is. He says, look, I'm the one who created you. I'm the God. I'm the only God. This is how you should react. This is Romans 12. 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Okay? So he's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, I'm asking you to do this. I'm beseeching you. I'm exhorting you. Do this by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's interesting, the, the wording that's used there. Because if God is God, and he is, he is. If you doubt that, go and watch or listen to our studies in the skeptic series. God is God. It's just as clear as day. Best, most reasonable idea in the marketplace of ideas is that God is God, that Jesus Christ is his son, that he rose from the dead. You make of that what you want to, but you're going to have to deal with Jesus at some point. But if God is God, and he is, then he's worthy of all praise and all glory and all service and all sacrifice. We're told here that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, giving our lives to God completely, is not some heroic mission. Jesus is the only hero in the Bible, okay? Not us. God's the hero. When we give our lives to him completely and serve him and follow him and sacrifice for him, you know what we're doing? What's reasonable. Just what's reasonable. The rational thing. We're doing the rational thing. It is simply the reasonable and rational response to God that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's just what you do when you think about who God is and what he's done. Your natural, reasonable, rational reaction is he gets everything. It's humility before him. It certainly is an entitlement. It certainly isn't, well, I don't have to do that. I'm no servant. That's not what it is. And when you do it, it's not something to brag about. When you're giving yourself completely to God. When Mother Teresa is in the streets of Calcutta laying with someone who's dying in poverty so they have some comfort in their last moments, she, she can't get up and be like, see how good I am? She can't. You know what she can do? God called me to do this, and this is my reasonable act of service. That's what I do. No pride in it. No pride in completely giving ourselves to God. It's just what a reasonable, rational person would do. Now, I used to do a lot of work in juvenile court. And like, chi actually, child support enforcement court also. I used to do some of that. That's fun. Um, and what I found was that there were a lot of parents that struggled in life in a lot of cases. There, I, re I would represent parents sometimes. I would represent kids sometimes. Um, I would represent people who uh, had not paid their child support, both mothers and fathers, and kind of walk through that. And you see the problems and the difficulties, and these people that had you know, maybe rough upbringings, things like that, they have a drug problem or they have some other problem, their kids get taken away. And sometimes what we'd see is we'd see them do the stuff they needed to do, and they'd get reunited with their kids. Or you'd see a mother or father get serious about taking care of their kids and start paying that child support. And I was always so blessed to see that. I thought that was an amazing thing when I would see that. 
But I didn't think it was a heroic thing. I thought it was a reasonable thing. I was glad to see it, but I did not say, oh, you're doing what you ought to do reasonably for your children because you had children. Therefore, you're a hero. I didn't think that, right? Because the reasonable thing to do when you have kids is that you take care of your kids. But it could be hard. And for some people, it's easy for us to sit here and go, I can't believe they're like that. Let me just tell you, you don't know anything if you think that. There are people who have horrible lives, and it's very, and it didn't have any of that that they got to see modeled in their lives, where their parents were good to them. So it's really a hard thing for them to get to what is reasonable, right? Sometimes it's like that for us too, in following Christ. We go, okay, you're saying it's reasonable, rational to completely give our lives as a living sacrifice to God, but that's really hard, David, and you should know that, and I do. That doesn't mean that it's heroic, though. The more that we understand that this is the reaction that we should have to a God who is so good to us, the easier it becomes to do it and the less we complain about it. The more we recognize that we should, this is a natural, normal thing to do if we're in Christ, the less we're going to complain when it gets hard because it does get hard. It does get hard. There are times when it's really hard. You know, some of you people, I mean, seriously, I'm just going to name a few names here. No, I'm I'm kidding. It's hard sometimes. It is for all of you, right? And yet it's just our reasonable act of service. When we come to the Lord, we don't go, what'd you think? Huh? What's up? You know, you see that? He's like, okay. We got another millennial. No, I'm kidding. 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 I don't think that about you millennials. Not that I'm going to admit to you. Anyway, um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What you say is you go and you say, I'm just an unprofitable servant. And the blessing that you get is he gets to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's that's what he wants from us. Because the truth is, if we really look at ourselves, we're pretty unprofitable servants, Because how often are we really living in that spot where we have totally given ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? How much of our life is defined by that? I can tell you that for me, it's a struggle. I got to think about it. I got to be intentional about it to do that because my natural thing is to be a sacrificial servant to me. That's my natural thing. I like to serve David, you know? I'm more like old Willie, my law partner, than I think. We got to give ourselves up. It's difficult. It's difficult. We serve one another if we serve Christ. And everything that we do, we should be looking to serve one another. Our own families, then the people in the household of faith, then those outside. In that order. Okay? You have... A varying order of who you should be serving, but all of them you should be serving. We bring the meals to those who are in need. If you don't know, the Kiros and Murdoch families just got back from Florida. Just the fact that they had to be in Florida was bad enough. But as you know, we lost our brother, Doug Kiros, last week. Many of you know that. Um, I think they're going to give us one of his guitars to have up here, which will be nice to remember him. But he's with the Lord, so he's doing great. But the family, they're struggling. They need meals. You can go online or on the app and find that. Sign up and bring them a meal. 
Because we are giving ourselves as living sacrifices, presenting our bodies to that. That means we help people who need help, right? We help people who need help with our time, with our money, and with the gifts we have. And it's hard. Who likes to be asked to help somebody to move? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Don't buy a truck, by the way. Um, get the truck, it's over. Like, hey, uh, are you doing something Saturday? Yeah, of course. You know? You think you'd help me move? Yeah, sure, right? You know what it's like. But we serve each other, right? Service is a way of life. We also serve the church, who's Christ's body, made up of your brothers and sisters. And we serve according to the gifts given each of us. Listen to this. This is Romans 12, same chapter we just read about living sacrifice. This is verses 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay, this goes with making yourself a living sacrifice, is being humble before God. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, this is a given. Every one of you has gifts. Spiritual gifts, natural gifts, gifts that God has given you. Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And there's more. There's more in, in that list. It goes on and on. We are the body of Christ. You are members of this body, which means you're members with Christ and members with one another. Yes, these people sitting here, you are members with them. They are your family. When they, when they need, we respond. When they don't need, we serve. We're here to build each other up. To build each other up. Because that's what Christ did. His whole ministry was all about that. It's all about serving. And we're all about serving. I'm going to read another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-7. through 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit... There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one of you has been given gifts to use in service for the profit of everybody else. If you keep them to yourself, or you sit there watching Netflix every day, all day long, you get off of work, you come home, and it's just like, nah, squid game, whatever, Right? Act like you didn't watch that. I know you watched that. Please. Well, where are the 18 billion people that watched it if none of you did? Okay, I know you did. All right. So you're sitting there watching shows or whatever, which is fine. Watch a show, enjoy it. But don't have that be your whole life. Sitting on the video games with the headphones. Hey, did you shoot that guy? Well, come on, guys. It's fine. Buff's getting mad. You know, I know he does that. It's all right. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. He lives like way out in Canada anyway, so he can't do anything. Um, you gotta, you gotta think about what your life looks like. You gotta think about where your time's going. Are you serving one another? Later in that chapter, in 1 Corinthians 12, this is verse 12 through 14. For as the body is one 
and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. That's hard to catch. All of us are one body. If my toe hurts, I hurt. I can tell you, I kicked the thing the other day. I didn't kick it. I was walking, and there was a chair, and bam, broke my, I think I broke it. I never got an x-ray, but it was like, so I think it's broke. My pinky toe, and my body hurt for a while. I had to give attention to that. If we're one body and someone is hurting, it should be hurting all of us. We should recognize it. We should be serving. We should be serving. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If it was one member, you could serve yourself. But it's many. We've got to serve each other. People ask me, you know, like, how do I move forward? You know, how do I, I want to help, I want to do. And I'm thinking, there's all these people here. Who are you serving? Call somebody up and bring them dinner. Do something. You know, rec- I, I would recommend, because we have a number of families here with very young children, that maybe you offer to help with their kids. You know, some people need a night out. That's service. Some of you that look creepy, don't do it. They're not going to want you to wash your kids. <laughs> but if you don't look creepy, it's a good thing, right, to do. I can't. You're like, hey, can I watch your kids? They're like, you know what? You just do the preaching thing, okay? <laughs> not my gift. You all have gifts. You are expected to use those gifts to serve God by serving his church. You are his church. You're his body. Now, you can read more about spiritual gifts and how that works out. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. You can write that down if you want to go study that. Uh, There's a lot going on there. But if we're not serving the Lord through serving each other and serving his church, the church where we are called and equipped to be part of the body of Christ, we are missing out on a fundamental part of our identity as a Christ follower. So if you don't have that going on in your life, it's time to get it going on in your life. That's things like volunteering, right? To be here on a Sunday morning. We have a lot of needs, a lot of needs in this church on a Sunday morning so that we can all do what we do here. People need stuff. There's meal trains. That's pretty common that we have a meal train going for somebody, okay? Stuff like that. Get involved. Be serving. All right, number nine. We're getting there. It's only 11.02. We we might get there. Giving. Yay! Woo! I know you guys like talking about giving. Yeah. People's first week, they're like, oh my gosh, it started already. <laughs> Listen, Christ followers give. They just do. They give regularly, they give generously, they give with willingness and thanksgiving, they give. That's just what they do. It's just part of definitionally what we are as Christ followers. If we're giving our lives, we're giving our money. You know, people will sometimes be like, well, I don't know if I want to give my tithe 10% to the church or whatever, because I'm just not sure I trust them. And I'm thinking to myself, you're trusting these people with the spiritual authority and shepherding of you and your family, but you don't trust them with your stupid money? That makes no sense. It starts saying, you value your money more than your own spiritual growth? That's crazy. That's crazy, okay? We give. I know people don't like to hear about giving, but you know what? It's in the Bible. And I don't know if you know, but we're going to teach it if it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Giving, okay? We don't teach it because we want your money, okay? We don't, well, I don't care. Those who know me know I don't care. I don't know what any of you give. 
I don't care. That's between you and the Lord. The only sense of which I care is I care for you because you've been called to do it. So I care about your own obedience to the Lord. But I don't need your money. I'm a lawyer, okay? <laughs> I could leave this pulpit anytime. I'm good, okay? People are like, oh, that's true. No. I'm good. No need your money, okay? But the Lord's called you to give it. The Lord's called you to give it. You need to get over the kind of the nonsense that we kind of go through. We're like, oh, the church, all they want is money. First of all, we barely ever talk about money. We talk about if it comes up in the scripture or in something like this where it comes up. You know, it's not something we talk about a lot, but we do teach on it because it's part of the call of a Christ follower. It just is. It's for us to grow. We give. We give regularly. We give generously. Scripture is full of calls to be generous to the body, to unbelievers, to those in need, to the poor, to the orphan, to the widow, right? To the stranger, the foreigner, the person who's in need, we give. You know, we do a lot of stuff. We try to, we try to give uh, to our brothers and sisters in Honduras. I don't know if you know this, but they don't have as much money as you. And you're thinking, I don't know, I'm pretty poor. It's like, nope, they don't have as much money as you. When's the last time you picked a piece of candy up off the street? Because you wanted some. They don't have very much money. So we give to them to help them so they can focus on serving the Lord. We sacrifice for one another. Christ's followers are generous with their worldly goods, with their time, with their lives. You know, it's interesting because America, the United States of America is by far the most religious modern nation, okay? There is no modern nation, first world country that really even compares to the United States in terms of how many people associate with religion. Now, it's changing. Things, I don't know if you've noticed that. It's changing. So a lot of people who are going, religion, what does religion really do? You know, what do they really do? Well, here's the thing. Uh, by far and away, people who are believers give more than their counterparts who are not. By far and away. Okay? And there's an awful lot that goes on in this country in terms of social help that is because of the church. Because of the church. I don't remember what the number is, but it's in the trillions, I believe of help that is given by believers and religious people in general in this country. That if we didn't have, we would be in big trouble. You'd have to pay a lot more taxes. I know you guys like paying taxes. I do too. It's fun, isn't it? Listen to this. According to the philanthropy, according to the philanthropy roundtable, studies show that people with a religious affiliation give away several times as much every year as other Americans several times as much, okay? Religious Americans adopt children at two and a half times the overall national rate, and they play a particularly large role in fostering and adopting troubled and hard-to-place kids. Local church con congregations, aided by umbrella groups like Catholic Charities and others, provide most of the day-to-day -day help that resettles refugees and asylum seekers arriving in the U.S., Research shows that the bulk of volunteers mentoring prisoners and their families, both while they are incarcerated and after they are released, are Christians eager to welcome offenders back into society, help them succeed, and head off returns to crime. Religious hospitals care for one out of every five U.S. hospital patients. Faith-based organizations are at the forefront of both care and recovery for the homeless. A 2017 study found that 58% of the emergency shelter beds in 11 surveyed cities are maintained by religious providers who also delivered many of the addiction, healthcare, education, and job services needed to help the homeless regain their independence. 
Local congregations provide 130,000 alcohol recovery programs. Local congregations provide 120,000 programs that assist the unemployed. Local congregations provide 26,000 programs to help people living with HIV and AIDS. That's one ministry at a local congregation for every 46 people infected with the virus. Churches recruit a large portion of the volunteers needed to operate organizations like Habitat for Humanity, Meals on Wheels, America's thousands of food pantries and feeding programs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, the Red Cross, and other volunteer-dependent charities. That's just some of the stuff. What does that mean? Giving defines Christ followers. By the way, you can look up the stats. Uh, our country outgives to charity. That's churches, other charities, and so on. Crazy compared to like our European counterparts. Double what the Canadians do. Canadians. If you're watching, give more. Um, more than Britain, like 12 times more than people in Japan. Other cultures that are not Christian or that have become less and less and less Christian do not give. And people go, we don't need the church. Unbelievers are like, this, we would be fine in this country without the church. They have no conception that a massive portion of what is done for people in this country is done by the church. Massive portion, because giving defines a Christ follower. It's just part of what we do, giving and volunteering. All right, giving is fundamental, just it is, part of the walk of a Christ follower. If you struggle with giving, just do this. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about it if you want to, but just ask yourself this question, why do I really struggle with it? Is it really because the church is not doing things right or because blah, blah, blah? Or do I struggle with it because oftentimes, as they say, the wallet is the last thing into the kingdom, right? Don't let it be that way for you. All right, number 10, joy. Yeah, get some joy going. Christ followers are known for joy. Okay, and I'm not talking about bubbly, silly happiness. Like, mm, okay. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. Obviously, I'm that way. But I'm not saying you have to be that way, right? <laughs> I'm talking about deep. <laughs> Somebody's going to make a gif out of what I just did. Um, I'm talking about deep, abiding joy. Okay? Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat. Mm. Drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Again, giving, right? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want strength? The joy of the Lord is your strength. We are intended as believers to live lives defined by joy. This is not a place to be somber and sad. As we're singing and we're clapping and we're praising God and we're giving each other hugs and we're loving each other, whatever, this is about joy. The Christian life is about joy. I know it's difficult. I know it is because you come out of a thing where you found ways to provide joy for yourself. I was a partier back in the day when I wasn't following Christ. And I thought to myself, if I don't drink with my buddies, what am I? I'm going to be so bored. It's going to be so boring. But Christ called me to give that up as he drew me to himself. And you know what? I have a lot more fun now. And guess what? No hangovers. It's amazing. It's amazing. We try to find all these ways in the world to provide joy for ourselves. The life of a Christ follower is full of joy. John Piper talks about something called Christian hedonism. You know what hedonism is? It's just basically always seeking after pleasure. 
Okay? I, I don't love the concept the way he does it exactly, but he's not wrong in the sense that as believers, we're the people who think life is amazing because God gave it to us. We're the people who are living that eternal life. You should be joyful, not like that. Just joyful, deep, abiding joy that gives you strength. Like, yeah, I'm happy to be a Christ follower. That's great, but I'm joyful even more so to be a Christ follower. A different thing entirely. It's deep inside me. It's deep inside me. There are times for sadness. We weep with those who weep. We talked about that with the body. One part's hurting, we weep with those who weep. One part's celebrating, we celebrate with those. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And read that in Romans 12, 15. Joy is something we practice. That's the weird thing about lawyers. You practice law, I'm like, by this time, I'm not practicing anymore. I'm just doing it, right? But that's the word we use. We practice joy. We practice it. Like trusting the Lord, it takes work. And like trusting the Lord, as we talked about last week, you have to take your thoughts captive. You have to actively forget what is behind and push forward. As Paul writes in the scriptures, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's Philippians 3.14. That upward call of God in Christ Jesus should give you joy. To know that you're working for something, know that you have a purpose. Man, there are a lot of people out there that just don't know what their purpose is. I see this a lot with young people. They're like, what do you want to do? They're like, I don't know. Do you have a plan? No. And I'm just like, what? Because when I grew up, it was like, you do this, you do that, you get out of the house, first of all. I'm just saying, that's what we wanted to do. I know some of you are still, it's fine. It's not fine. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Look, get out of the house. Come on, you know? Um, but we want to do that. And it was like, go do this, go do that. We're going to have the family. We're going to do the thing. But a lot of people now are just like, the world is so messed up. As Christianity has less and less influence, people are like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm here for. But we have a purpose. And having a purpose pressing toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus should give you joy. It should give you joy. The fact that you will be perfected as Jesus has promised you should give you joy. I'm going to be perfect, not because I am perfect, but because Jesus is going to make me perfect. That should give you joy. The fact that Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit to empower you and strengthen you, help you to understand the scripture help you to serve one another, help you to do all that. That should give you joy. The fact that God has given us his word should give you joy. You know that Jewish people, when they get the scrolls, they're so excited about it. They'll like dance around with the scrolls. Because they love it. Because they're joyful about it. Because God has given it to them. And when's the last time you danced around with your Bible? Maybe just a waltz. <laughs> I understand. Start slow. Start slow. I almost went somewhere else, and I was like, no, don't, don't say that. All right. Do the waltz. It's fine. God gave us his word. We should have joy. The fact that the word tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, should give us joy. I don't care what you're going through. I do care, but I don't, it doesn't matter what you're going through. That's a better way to say that. I do care what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. No matter how bad it is, joy can be there now, and joy is certainly coming. 
No matter how dark the night gets, joy comes in the morning. That should give you joy. The fact that according to the scriptures, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us should give us joy. There's a whole lot of things that should be giving us joy. You are saved and redeemed from the horrible state of sin that you were in if you have called on Jesus as Lord and believed that God raised him from the dead. That should give you joy all the time. Even when there's difficulty, there should be joy in it. Difficulty comes in a fallen world. Death and disease and plague and natural disasters and the Oregon Ducks football team. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. I, well, sort of. Depends on whether we beat them in a couple of weeks. We being the Washington Huskies, you're in Washington, by the way, just for you wearing Oregon Ducks shirts today. You're in Washington, okay? Oh, I'm kidding. You can, you can be Oregon. People are like, I can't believe he's talking to me that way. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just my own thing. Seriously, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world. Oregon Ducks are not part of that. But we are in Christ, and we have begun an everlasting life in him because we've called on the name of the Lord to be saved, and that should give us joy. It just should. If you don't have joy, you don't understand your salvation. You just don't understand it. And when you do understand it, you're going to have joy. It's going to ignite joy inside you. Understand what's happened. So take your thoughts captive as God has commanded us in his word. Listen to this. This is Philippians 4. This is a great verse. A lot of you have probably heard this one before. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Take your thoughts captive and then do that with them. Meditate on those things. What's good and just and true and pure and lovely, excellent and praiseworthy? Those are the things that you should think about. Not because you're like, la, 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 I don't see anything bad going on. But because you say, even though that bad is going on, think about all these things that are good. So many things are good. Like me getting to see you, which I love to do. I really do think about you. I really do love you. And when I get here and I'm praying before I come up to preach, I'm just, I'm so honored to be able to be part of this with you, that we can all grow together, gives me joy. I hope it gives you joy. Think about those things which bring us joy as Christ followers. We love Jesus Christ. Joy is just part of the identity of a serious Christ follower. It just is. 11. We got two more. I'm going to try to do it. Here we go. Hebrews 12, 14. This is about peace. This 11 is peace. You can write that down in your notes. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This might be harder than giving, actually, now that I think about it. Ask yourself this. Is there peace in your home? Is, is there peace in your home? Some of you husbands and wives are thinking, mm, define peace. I've given him a peace in my mind. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> Is there peace in your home? Is your life defined by peace? Are you a person of peace? And if not, why not? Let me guess. It's everyone else's fault, right? <laughs> They're just difficult. Is there anything you can do to have more peace in your life? Is there anything you can do to have more peace in your home? The answer is yes, it is. We do struggle with people, okay? I understand that. We struggle with people and their constant nonsense, the nice thing about the scripture is we go through like the gospels and we see Jesus, particularly Peter, he's the one who always like makes me feel better, is because he will say the dumbest things, right? And Jesus is like, 
mm, okay. No, Peter. And I'm like, oh, good, because that's me. Like, I'm like, God, can we do blah, blah, blah? And he's like, David, mm, mm. You know, I get it. People are difficult. People are difficult. They're full of nonsense. We wonder why they just can't be as smart and well put together as we are, right? <laughs> Till we take one second and realize that we have our issues we're working through also, right? And that they're actually having to deal with us and thinking the same thing about us. We look at the world and think, these days, we think that so many people are against us. And it may be true. It's growing, right? The resistance to Christ and his church is growing. It's grown in other places for a long time. It's growing in this country too. But we already have the victory. We've already won. But we feel that way. And yet scripture gives us clear instructions on how to treat the people who we see as persecutors and enemies. And this is what it says. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Back in Romans 12 again. Bless those who persecute you. Yay. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not send your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And don't tell me it's just not possible. It says if it's possible, it's not possible. Well, if it's not possible because of your attitude, that's not what he's talking about, okay? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The scriptures say we're to live peaceably and feed and give drink to our enemies. But the Bible can't be talking about jerks, right? Like, not them, right? Not the people who really annoy me, cut me off on the freeway. I'm not usually thinking, I'd like to feed that person and give them a drink. Right? I'm, sometimes I'm thinking, I think they've had a few drinks, you know, based on the way they're driving. can't be talking about when my brother or my sister or my husband or my wife is mean to me, right? Then it's not possible for me to live at peace with them. Yeah, it means all of that and it means a lot more. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. These are the works of a Christ follower. They are how we can define whether we are growing in Christ and how other people can define whether we're Christ followers. When they look at us and we have a life that's defined by peace, I did not say it was easy. I have never pretended that any of this is easy. Count the cost, because you're going to pick up your cross daily, and this is part of it. This is part of it. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You just can't. It's just too hard. It's a very good thing that a saved believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit in you and working through you, right? One of the things that you need to understand, and I know we struggle with this, but you've got to understand this. Lost people act like lost people. They just do. You cannot expect them to act like Christ followers. It's the worst thing to me when somebody starts growing in Christ and they start maturing, they start getting better, and then all of a sudden people that they used to be empathetic towards and sympathetic towards are not anymore. Now they're holding them to the standard that they just got to. 
You see it with smokers a lot, right? They quit smoking and they're like, smoking? Ugh. It's like, dude, you smoked for 20 years. <laughs> like, but I got over it. Okay. Five minutes ago, right? But there are sometimes like, <laughs> like the, you know, dude, it's a cigarette. We used to, you remember how cigarettes, people would smoke in the grocery store. And we weren't like, <laughs> we're like, okay, they're smoking, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, now I got to move on here. Lost people act like lost people, okay? If you think to yourself, yeah, lots of people act like lost people, but even when I was a lost person, I wasn't as bad as them. Mm, you don't understand your own self or your own salvation. You don't understand who you were before God saved you, if you think that. You don't understand what Jesus had to suffer for you. You are to live in peace with those you see as enemies and persecutors to the extent that it is possible. Without the Prince of Peace, there is no peace. But because we follow Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, our lives are marked by peace. It's 1125, but I'm on my last one. Can we do it? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Number 12, hope. Hope. It's raining outside anyway. What are you going to do? You're not going to go hiking. I know you think you're going to go hiking. You're not going to go hiking, okay? The last characteristic that defines the identity of a Christ follower that we're going to study for now is hope. This is, a, this is such a good one. 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter on love, and it places hope with faith and love. Okay, these are like, oh, these are these things that are like characteristics of a Christ follower. They're like central faith, hope, and love. Now, the greatest of these is love, but hope is pretty great. Hope is pretty great. A life of hope is a life that is always looking forward to the day that we're resurrected and made perfect to have everlasting life in Christ. That's what our hope is. Our hope is for the future, for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our families, for people who aren't in Christ yet that we want to see come to Christ. Hope. Hope. It's huge. People who lose hope, they go down quick. But we're a people of hope. It's the thing that keeps us from being lost forever in mourning when one of our brothers and sisters passes away because we know that they're alive with Jesus. That's hope. So it helps us face hard times because we know that the future is in God's hands. That's hope because he's promised us. He's promised us some things. And this is one of them. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, if you know that and you believe that, you can't help but have hope and joy and all these other things. All things are going to work together for good. Something horrible happens. You go, how are you going to work this together for good? You may not know, and I may not know, but he's promised that he will work all things together for good. And because we can believe in that promise, we can have hope if we're those who love God. We can't have hope. We ought to have hope. We ought to live in hope, in faith, in love, because that is a beacon, like a lighthouse to the world. Who are these people living in all this hope, no matter what happens in their life, having all this faith, having all this love. I want to see what that's about. And we draw them as Christ's body to himself. Hope is huge. Hope is huge. Psalm 100 tells us, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and we are a people of hope. Faith, hope, and love. It's an amazing thing. Now, I have a whole conclusion here. That's a couple of two pages long. I'm going to let that part go because I got you through all 12 of the things. So, yeah, we, we did it. We did it. Get ready, ladies. 
The one on women is next week. So get ready, guys, too, because I'm going to just, mm, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Ben can come on up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you that we got through these things. God, I pray that every one of these things that we've talked about and that we've studied, will, that a seed will be planted. Like when, a, when you talk about a mustard seed that's planted, that's what the kingdom of God is like, and it grows into a tree, and the, and the birds nest in its branches. That's what I want to see. This little, this little seed of understanding what these things are will grow in us, that we'll see each other, that we'll be encouraging each other as we grow more and more in all of these characteristics of what it means to be a Christ follower. And that, Lord, not only would you use that to give us joy in our lives and to make so many good things happen that happen with Christ followers, pleasures and joy forevermore that we're promised when we're with you forever in eternal life, but also, Lord, that you would make it a strong witness to the world that we would continue to do what believers in you have always done, to give generously, to serve generously, to forbear, to have peace, to have hope, to have joy. God, and that people would look at it and be like, who are these people? And what is giving them these characteristics? And they might come and find you, Lord. Because God, please, we're asking, please save these people in this town, in this county, Wherever we're called, right here, Lord, save these people as you saved us. Save our children, our husband or our wife, our sisters or our brothers, our families who aren't following you, Lord. We pray. I know these people are praying for their families, Lord. I pray right now as a group for all of our families that don't know you, that they would know you, that they would see truth that your Holy Spirit would draw them. God, we love you. We want to see people come to know you. We want to see you go out in power from this church and everything that you're having us do. With all of our own flaws, Lord, that you would grow us and grow us and grow us and mature us and mature us and mature us. We might know you more and then we might show the world you more. In your name, amen.